Thank you for coming on a holiday. You're in for a real treat. Um, so this is the next lecture in the series of the science and cooking, trying to share it with everybody. Um, as always, I have to uh, thank our sponsors, but in this case, uh, we're particularly honored that Jose Andres and his Think Food group uh, sponsors us, and you'll see not only as a financial sponsorship, but it's intellectual sponsorship, as will become totally apparent uh, tonight. Uh, the Alicia Foundation provides both uh, Montferrand and uh, all of the supplies for our labs, which we eat, come from Whole Foods on River Street. Uh, Fusion Chef by uh, Julabo uh, provides the immersion cookers and the bank provides some money for Alicia. Um, tonight, I want to give a special thanks to Maria Leon uh, at Dali Restaurant, uh, which uh, all the TFs ate there very nicely um, last week. And as always, a very special thanks to Christina, who makes everything happen around here. And so tonight, after we review a little bit of the science, uh, we're fortunate to have Jose Andres, uh, one of the most famous chefs in the US, uh, discuss gelation. But before that, um, I will review a little bit to try and put everything in context, tell you something about gelation, but I'll use this as an opportunity to begin to tell you a little bit about what we're talking about in class, which is diffusion and entropy. So, as a way of discussing and reminding you of gelation, I'll tell you something about spherification, which is a culinary application of gelation. Uh, and to do that, let me remind you that gels are these unique materials where you add a small quantity of polymers to water. And this is an example. The polymer is a very, very long molecule. Uh, this is a particular example of alginate. It comes from seaweed. It's something that is used in a process of spherification. And uh, this is a, an excellent example to show you something. Remember that alginate, as with all polymers, can form this network structure in water. Uh, the network has these uh, chemical bonds these permanent bonds, they're fairly far apart. And in between this network is water. And so a very, very small quantity of this polymer, typically about 1%, is sufficient to turn the liquid, which is water, into a solid. And that's what you use uh, gelation for. And Jose is going to basically give us an enormous number of examples of gelation for culinary purposes. Um, in particular, I want to tell you a little bit about calcium alginate as a prototypic example. This is how you actually gel the calcium alginate. You use divalent ions, in fact, uh, calcium ions, and it forms this egg box structure. The calcium combines, and it's an electrostatic effect that the calcium, the two charges on the calcium, attract the uh, negative charges on the alginate, and you get this gel that forms. You get the crosslinks that form uh, in this way. 
And this is the basis of spherification, something that we've talked about a lot. Spherification, here's some examples from Alicia and from El Boule Ferran Adria's restaurant. Spherification is a way of taking something that's fluid-like and making it into a solid, but a solid that if you bite into, you still realize the uh, liquid-like behavior. So it's liquid-like on the inside, and it's just a thin shell of gel to make it into a solid. And so this is conceptually how you do, how you, how you make it. You take something, it's a liquid drop, you spherify it to make a thin elastic shell, a thin, thin solid shell. You take it out, you put it on your plate, and if you bite into it or you cut it, it flows like a, uh, like a liquid. And the idea is that the shell should be as thin as possible to retain, to give it the solidity that you need to keep the object in place, but there should be still essentially liquid on the inside. So let's look a little bit more at what happens. What you do is you take the original type of spherification, you take the liquid material that you want to spherify, and you add the alginate to it. Now remember, you can add just something like 1% by weight of alginate, so it's not a very much material. You add that, and then the bath that you put it in is a bath that contains these calcium ions. And the calcium ions flow inside this network and cause it to cross-link. So you get this cross-linked shell, these cross-links, and you form a thin shell, and you can take it out. And this works perfectly if you serve it immediately. But even if you take it out of this calcium bath, there are still some calcium ions in the water between the network in the gel. And if you wait longer, more and more of the alginate inside solidifies, becomes a gel. And so these materials can't really be stored, or you don't have this thin shell of gel, but rather everything gels, and you have a solid gelled particle. So to overcome this kind of limitation, oh, here's an example of this. This is just looking. This is from the Alicia Foundation. This is just looking at, over the course of time, how you can gel the whole particle. This is a relatively small particle. To overcome this, you can do what's called inverse spherification, and you just reverse things. In the liquid that you're interested in spherifying, you ensure that there's a concentration, a small concentration of calcium ions, and you put this liquid into a bath that contains the alginate. And then the sodium ions move out outwards and gel a thin shell around the object. And now if you remove it, there's no more alginate to gel. So if you take it and you wash it, these can be stored. So this is a way of coating from the outside with 
the gel. And this inverse verification produces objects that can be stored for longer periods of time. So what happens, it depends on the time that you allow the calcium ions to move out. The thickness of the gel depends on the time. And this motion depends on diffusion. And so we should discuss something about diffusion that tells us how the calcium ions move through the liquid to cause the gelation. And so let's discuss the diffusion of ions. And for that, before I show you what diffusive motion is, I should start by telling you what uniform motion looks like. So I'm going to draw you a picture. In fact, I'll go, I think I have to go over to this side and draw you a picture. And I will act out what we see. So this is uniform motion. It's like me taking a walk, right? I walk in the uniform direction. I go from one side to another. Ah, but it's a nice night. So I stop. And suddenly there appears a drink. Now, those of you who know me know exactly what I'll do. Just imagine it's a beer, no, maybe a bottle of whiskey. Well, of course, I imbibe it. And you know what happens then. Then it becomes the walk of the drunken sailor. So now I take a step. But which way do I go next? I don't know. I can go anyways. I go one way. I go another way. Each time, I don't know which way to go. So I go forward. I go backwards. I take this long, convoluted walk. Imagine walking home if you're drunk. This is exactly what happens for an ion that's diffusing through water. Every time, it can go in any direction. In this case, it goes forward. In this case, it goes to the side, to the forward, to the side, forward, backwards, to the side. It can go backwards. It can go any direction. And so after some time, the total length it's gone, look at this, is only about three times these units of A, but it's taken 21 steps. So this is a very slow walk. The total distance that it's gone is 21 times this length A, this step size A. It's much longer than the absolute distance. So the drunken sailor walks very slowly. It doesn't, he doesn't cover very much distance. So in two dimensions, it might look something like this. It takes this very convoluted path. Look at this long length of path. And so the total length that this object has gone is defined by somewhere around on this circle of length L. But the actual length is much larger. And for, uh, whenever you have a diffusive process, this length, the length that it goes, which is n times some step size, always depends on the square of this length. So it takes a very convoluted path, but it follows, it actually goes a rather small distance.
And we can understand the nature of this by going back to one dimension and now imagine each of these particles is diffusing only in this direction. And so what happens is they move, and now they've moved different amounts, but that's really the right way to think about it. We can't really tell exactly where they end up, so we have to sample many, many times. And if we look at what's happened, we see that on average, maybe after some short time, they've appeared, this is just a sum of all the different ways that they've appeared, and if we plot the probability of their positions, they've spread by some distance. And if you wait a longer time, they spread a larger amount, and this spreads out, and this length gets larger, but remember, it gets larger with the square. So this is the equation of the week. This tells you how they diffuse. So this is the time, and it goes as the square of the distance divided by the diffusion coefficient. Let's look what that means. If you look at how far they go, if it, go, if it travels in a uniform way, it goes in a very straight line. But if you want to go a certain distance and you're diffusing, it takes much longer time. It goes much more slowly. So let's think what that means for spherification. We can ask, how long does it take if you want to make a very, very thin shell, a one micron shell, and I use the equation of the week, and I plug in the value, a micron, I square that and divide by the diffusion coefficient for a calcium ion in water, and you may worry if I'm putting it in a gel, does it slow down? And the answer is, of course, not, because the gel is such a small volume. It's mainly water. So it diffuses through. And if you wait, if you want to make a 10 micron thick shell, you only have to wait a tenth of a second. But if you want to make a somewhat thicker shell, say 100 micron. Now, this is something you can start to taste 100 microns. You can barely taste 100 microns. This takes 10 seconds. But let's say you want to have something that's really solid, and let's say you wanted to make, you may not want to, but let's say you wanted to make a one millimeter shell, so you increase this just by a factor of 10, and now it takes 1,000 seconds, or about 20 minutes. So the thicker it gets, the longer it takes. Of course, now you can see why with direct spherification, you have a certain time that you can serve the food, you have 20, 30 minutes before you get too thick a gel, the same thing is happening. It takes that long for the calcium ions to diffuse in and cause the uh, inside of whatever you're spherifying to gel. So you have a certain amount of time, but you can calculate now how long you have before you, can, uh, before you gel everything. So this is gelation, and so the key concept was to understand something about the nature of diffusion, how slow it is, how it really grows much more slowly, and now to understand really something about the culinary applications of gelation, I give you Jose Andres. Are you ready? I'm taking notes. He's taking notes? <laughs>
please uh, wait while he uh, writes this down. Okay. Good to see you. Hold on, Dave. I mean, you know this wouldn't be possible if a brain like his will see a genius like a chef in the middle of the mountains called Ferran Adria, and will almost make this impossible possible here at Harvard of bringing cooking and chefs to share our cooking and, and, and try to put it through the brains of minds like him <laughs> and ending with almost the, uh, the most impossible thing of having cooking at Harvard explained through science. So really very much thank you because you made happen something like many of us, we always dream, but we never imagine will be possible. And so the thank honor you. is all mine. That you and gave. guys, today, his birthday, 60 year old. Okay. So we're going to go 45 minutes. We're going to try to do 12, maybe 14 uh, techniques using gelatins. Um, Dave show us uh, specifically about esterifications. We'll do two or three. But the truth is that gelatins today are probably to me one of the most unbelievable areas in cooking today. And I have a feeling that very often when food critics, I hope no one is here, <clears throat> talk about chefs using gelatins, almost in a, with a big criticism underlying. I want to start saying that gelatins, people of Cambridge, they've been with us for centuries. So when something is with you for centuries, it means that already it's traditional. And if it's traditional, why all of a sudden is people saying, wow, these people are trying to do avant-garde cooking? <laughs> when the great, great, great grandfather of my mother already probably was doing gelatins. Even maybe he didn't know about it. The truth is that for many, many centuries, the possibilities of gelatins that we had at our disposal were very few. One or two, just we lost a recipe, that's okay. <laughs> It'll be 12. And, uh, and today, guys, the options are unbelievable for us, the professionals, for the food industry, but also for you, people at home. So, are you ready to see a whole bunch of different things? So, I was thinking, I can do here cooking classes, right? And I start talking about the strawberries and tomatoes and uh, pow pows, the most unknown American fruit. <laughs> How are you doing this to pow pows, people of America? <laughs> Chickens, beef, but then, it's a lot of chatting, right? We're gonna be talking about so many ingredients and it's like, man, this Spanish chef with a heavy accent. <laughs> uh, 
at least you understood. So, so here is, what's the most pure thing that we have to explain something? The, mu the, the most pure thing we have to explain something probably will be water, right? Water is pure. So we're gonna do the 12, 14 recipes only using water. Simply, simply water. Water, it's something like to me, fascinates me. And this is really the moment that you try to go and make a fool of yourself, right here, a harbor. But we know that with water, only seeing water, already we can be imagining amazing things, right? We drink it every day. That's something Ferran has shown me often through the years. And we go through things without really thinking of why we do the things we do. And seeing that the water we are having now is cold or hot or frozen or hard frozen or like it's now. Different textures that change the perception of your mouth and the same ingredient only with temperatures. With the same ingredient becomes 100 fascinating different possibilities, right? And then one day you come to to Boston and you come to Cambridge and you meet professors and then they start telling you about water surface tension. And then all of a sudden you see that you have the amazing possibility of saying to Newton, sorry boy, but gravity in this case doesn't work. <laughs> Fascinating, right? So the first thing I could be telling you is of this class on gelation and all the possibilities of gelatins, we're gonna be starting with the first one which is the one that everyone knows. How many of you have seen this? Gelatin sheets, right? Everyone has seen one. This is probably the first gelatin that home users, besides the powder one that you can find in the stores, that somehow we were able to go to the market, buy, and use it, right? So a simple gelatin made out of collagen, much of this gelatin, all of this gelatin is mainly made out of meats. The collagen within the meats. I don't know if you feed in the chicken and you see the bones and you see like a translucent kind of, at the end of the bone that some people put it on the side and other people like me go and picks the bone out of the person next door. Like, <laughs> excuse me, sir, are you leaving the bones on the chicken wings, can you? Okay, that's the collagen, something amazing, right? But what happened is because that's not being treated, the collagen itself, didn't give us more options than to be a natural gelatin on its own, right? But before I go to explain you gelatins using collagen, the animal base, let's go to the most pure gelatin I feel we have on Earth. We have to go to the other side, and the category of fruits, it's something we call pectin, right? We've all heard pectins, right? Marmalades happens thanks to pectins. For pectins really to have a, a jelly property, really we need acid. That's why in all the recipes you always will see adding lemon, and even I've seen adding vinegar, and sugar, and or sugar. With uh, sugar and or an, an acid, something like lemon, we can make the pectin really jellify and becoming the amazing thing like we use in top of the toes. That's a matter if it's a strawberry gelatin. Or if. So sometimes we go, right? I have the knife. Can I get the camera close by here? And we look for the most amazing things, right? But take a look at this. We go back to the image. We are focusing. We do a cut on the top. We do a cut in the bottom. 
We ask permission to the tomato. We need to be always honorable men. We knock in the door. Do we have another one? This one? Yeah. We open right the door on the side of the tomato. We have an inner wall that meets the outside wall. And we do a cut right there. And right there, look at, we open a door into the tomato. And take a look at this, guys. If we do a cut right on the base of these seeds, this to us is the most amazing form of gelatin that you can find naturally in the food world. It's not like tomatoes, it's one of the fruits that has the most amazing quantity of pectin, but is some pectin included in tomatoes. This will be the most natural gelatin you can find in the food world today. You go home next summer, as the good tomatoes will show up again, try to go home and open a tomato and do exactly what I've done with these seeds. That will be the beginning of a, an amazing search to finding those gelatins-like products that when you introduce them into your mouth, the body is telling you, wow, this is going to be a good dish. But because it's not so many things like the tomato seeds in the natural world, we use the gelatins to help us achieve the same. So here, take a look what we have. Here we only have water. Can you help me? That we've done a quarter, uh, one cup, a quarter, one-fourth of a quarter, 250. And in this first one, we put one gelatin sheet. If I'm not wrong, one gelatin sheet, they differ, but they are two grams, roughly. Two grams, very, almost is nothing in proportion, okay? Some of them are three. Huh, they are not perfect, but. So here, take a look, we only do two. We put one gelatin sheet and take a look at this texture. Over here. Are you able to see it? Very liquid-like, yes? In this case, the amount of gelatin didn't have enough power, really, to give that a solid, light consistency. We look in gelatin sometimes. But think for a second that in this case, if we are smart, the gelatin actually is becoming a sauce. If you use carrots and you add the gelatin and you whip it, you will have a beautiful sauce of carrots. If you do the same with almond milk, you will have a beautiful sauce of almond milk. If you have watermelon, you'll be able to achieve a watermelon that is not runny, like a water of watermelon, but all of a sudden you will have a watermelon with a consistency that will give this very, very, very unique dimension to a watermelon that you've been drinking all your life, and all of a sudden becomes a liquid with a very different texture and feel in your mouth. All of a sudden, one sheet of gelatin is helping us to create a sauce, when before we barely could do much. Yes? So in the moment we do two gelatins, try to get here closer, yeah? Already we can see that Already it's almost looking like an eyeball. 
if you will get a tuna and you will open the spine and you will separate the, verte uh, the vertebras, in between each vertebra you will find a gelatin-like substance that if you put that inside a dashi broth, it'll be another natural gelatin that will be very amazing to taste and to your palate. With this is we are almost, we are able to make, this is water, but imagine for a second, we want this to be truffle water, a different texture. Next, we add three. Already it's harder. Already this is something like as you throw it, we see that has a very different already uh, uh, texture compared to the first one and even the, the second one. And in the last one, we put four gelatin sheets. And you're gonna be see, okay, Jose, and you can put 10, what? Well, what I'm trying to show you here, that if you think about it, you could be doing one carrot, use the carrot, and transform the carrot into a thick gelatin like this. This looks like a silicon implant. <laughs> I've never seen one. But I read about it. And all of a sudden, we will have the carrot sauce. Already changing the proportions of one gelatin that anyone can buy in the shop and use by testing and use by changing the proportions, you could be doing a carrot, solid, with a carrot sauce. One ingredient, two different textures. Are you with me? You see the power of a gelatin. You don't seem to convince. So, because we were able to see that, we are gonna move to what else can we do with this besides Jose putting a piece of gelatin in the plate? You saw that water with the gelatin, right? Liquid-like consistency. Imagine for a second that we have a bottle like this. Everyone knows about these bottles? It's a very popular... Can we do this before we begin next time? I know, okay, but put it lower, good. Yes, I look like if I am in a DJ booth. <laughs> so guys, you've seen this in a coffee shop, very famous from Seattle. And I'm very happy because I remember, again, a food critic criticizing many years ago because I was using this. So I was like, great. They can use it to make whipped cream with your choco, but I cannot use it to make my strawberry mousse. Why? Why are we so unfair? So take a look what happened. That gelatin that you saw, that liquid with the one sheet of gelatin, imagine the flavor. What flavor you are imagining right now? A strawberry. You read my mind. So what happened traditionally, right, with the strawberries? You will make a mousse with what? Strawberries? Heavy cream? Some gelatin? Some sugar? Yes or yes? You will puree the strawberries. Yes, you will take the seeds out, you'll strain, you'll whip. The whipped cream by hand, 25 minutes. <laughs> and then it'll be over whip. Great. And then you'll add some gelatin to, you'll melt some gelatin with a little bit of the strawberry. You will add it to the strawberries. 
And when the strawberries, you see, they are getting kind of body, you will add the whipped cream. You'll mix slowly, you'll fold. Boomba, you will have a beautiful strawberry mousse. Are you with me? But what happened? You want strawberries, yes? If you put 50% of the strawberries, because the other 40 has to be gelatin and sugar and heavy cream, what you're doing with the strawberry is what? You are diminishing in 50% the pure flavor of a strawberry. Why? If you want a whipped cream mousse, you make a whipped cream mousse. If you want a strawberry mousse, you make a strawberry mousse. So imagine for a second, everything here is a strawberry only, with a little bit of water and a little bit of the gelatin. What happens with the mousse? That we are able to give the air that is making the mousse so unique and so light because the fat in the heavy cream is what is able to grab because it's very hungry, all the air bubbles that comes inside, right? But you need the fat to do that. Gelatin allows us to don't have fat and also being able to capture all those bubbles that gives us the possibility to make a fascinating mousse. Are you with me? Right here, madam. And your name is? I'm with, oh, Chris. Chris is doing great. Big round of applause here. So, we put the CO2 cartridge, boom, air is in, boom, water, the gelatin, flavor, a strawberry. You can dream of your own flavor, you are welcome. A mousse, as light as you want, of water. What, this doesn't deserve a round of applause? Esto que era, medio litro. So, eh? so this was two cups. Malfunction. Guys, this was two cups of liquid, half a quart. Yeah, we've achieved easily six cups, triple. And this one was very light. We are out of our kitchens. But this will be, if you use with chocolate, as thick or as thin as you want. But this is a fascinating mousse. The amazing thing, again, is that we are able to make a mousse from now on without needing the fat component, achieving flavor that is 100% pure. And if you had to ask me, I will say 150% pure. Why? Because more air we are able to put into the food, lighter it is, but that air in the moment that gets into the mouth and the tongue is able somehow to get in touch with all those bubbles of air and with the product, in this case, a strawberry, all the combustion that is gonna happen, all the things that are gonna be happening in your nose, in your tongue, all the flavor is gonna be almost exponentially grown by so many factors. This way, we're gonna always make food that is tastier, lighter, and that's key in today's cooking. So, gelatin, mousse. So here we go, um, here we go uh, with, the, uh, with the next one. Um, you, don't stop me. Can you, don't, where is my, my thing? 
Is that mine? Yeah, yeah. What is mine? So here we're gonna make now, we had here for um, quite some time now, yeah, it's fine. We have here for quite some time now the, the, what we call the nube, what we call the cloud in mi libro. What we call the cloud. So right here, what we've been doing is just whipping this for, as you see, for the last easily 10, 10 long minutes. And what you're gonna be seeing here is that um, we're gonna be creating with also gelatin and with also water, in this case, 350 grams of water. Here we kind of uh, weighted one third of a quart and four gelatin sheets by putting it in the same, same liquid. Almost is like if we put whipped cream. Can you go, are you closing? Water, the gelatin, whipping non-stop. Give us the possibility of this mousse meringue kind of texture. And it's okay to use egg whites. It's great to use whipped cream. But it's what you want to do is the same thing with truffle water. Why do you have to be adding a cream that doesn't belong? We show you the gelatin and the textures. We show you a mousse. We show you a cloud, a nube, as we call it in Spain. This is a fascinating way to be thinking about food. When I see the mousse we made, and we see this. So, we wait, we let it rest, the gelatin is gonna be getting colder and colder in the refrigerator. And all of a sudden, my friends, you get a texture like no other. Full of eye, full of, uh, so the other one will be a cloud that will be more like a meringue. This one, all of a sudden, will settle down. The bubbles will kind of go down. And at the end, once the gelatin cools, you achieve another, another texture of gelatin. In this case, with I wish, can you get closer, as close as you can? I wish you are able to see all the bubbles of air that we were able to put by having this over 20, 30 minutes. More air is always gonna make food lighter and tastier. That's the power of gelatins. Are you with me? Yeah. One more, we move. So, Next one we are gonna be doing, in this case, with um, also the same gelatin, and we're gonna be adding a little bit of, um, we're gonna have 300 grams of, um, uh, of water again, one third of a quarter, and we are gonna have the same quantity of gelatin. Again, proportions, you need the right proportions, but the important thing here is about dreaming, about the possibilities. So here, usually we make this and we call this an air. Before, we call that a cloud. It's obvious why. Take a look what happened here. We used to do this often with soy lecithin. Yeah, soy lecithin is a natural emulsifier, uh, very much like what happens in your bathtub when you put soap and you start 
emulsifying your bathtub and getting bubbles. Well, imagine when you can do this with something that is a natural product, and imagine when you do this with something that helps you emulsify. Here in this case, we are at the gelatin and we are at the water. And we add a little bit of sucro, that is what is substituting the, the soil lecithin. It's a natural emulsifier itself. The gelatin, what is, the sucro helps us with the emulsification, but the gelatin helps help us to make sure that all the bubbles we are putting inside will remain. Yes, Tavien. So you remember I told you an air? Imagine one moment that you are going through Fifth Avenue. Your wife is pregnant and she says, I want chocolates with strawberries. Man, no now. It's only hot dogs. So an air is very much something like it's light or as light as air. You know one of the things we did with this that many years ago that really was almost life-changing, but at the same time life-changing, but it's very simple. I don't know you, but my margaritas, I don't like them with salt. Thank you. <laughs> the salt in the rim, I think, doesn't help the tequila, doesn't help the lime, doesn't help the traditions of Mexico. <laughs> Any Mexican here? I love tequila and I love, I, I love margarita and I love Mexico, but I, I don't like the salt in the rim. I think it's bad quality more often than not, and it's always the wrong proportions. So one day we were in the water, in the rocks, in beautiful Catalonia. The rocks were being hit by the seawater, and you had all this foam. I grabbed the water, right the top with all the foam, I brought it to my mouth. My wife looked at me saying, what are you doing? <laughs> and I ate it. And right there was the thinking. It's not like in the moment I, I, the air was not my invention. What yes we did was going back to the restaurant, get water, a little bit of lime, a little bit of salt. We did this. And from now on, we do the margaritas straight up with the beautiful sea air on top. When you drink, the top lip always gets the salt. The bottom lip always gets the lime. That was, to me, then, the perfect margarita. OK. So, tallarines? Agaragar? Let's go. So now we're going to go with agaragar. We already showed you everything we can do with the gelatins and with collagen-based gelatin. But as we know, it's many, 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 many people that for different reasons will not eat animal gelatin-based. But also is when the new gelatins are coming. We saw a natural pet thing like the tomato, the seeds of the tomato. Now we saw everything we can do with the gelatins, which is a lot and is more we could even be doing. But now we wanted to show you other kinds of um, um, other kinds of gelatin, um, gelatins in, in this case. So now we are going to be uh, um, showing you um, really with the agar-agar. Um, so here, you see the seaweed um, that you see up there on the photo. This is mainly two kinds of, um, is two kinds of uh, seaweed. One of them is called gelidium. Probably you go to the beach. And when the water is moving a lot, because there's a storm nearby, and you come out, and you are surrounded by seaweed, and you are like, oof, what is this? Okay, 
probably is this kind of seaweed. <laughs> All right? So um, the, the Yelidium very much is a type of what we call the red, the red seaweed, the red algae, which is like the big, uh, the big family. And this one is amazing because Asia knows about agar-agar for many, 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 many centuries. And really, agar-agar didn't come to Europe until early 19th century. And really being used, it's been 20th century. So agar-agar, again, is something like it's been forever around us. But really, lately, we've been using it. Even, again, in the Asian cultures, they've been using agar-agar in more ways than we imagine. And probably more ways than they even imagine. So agar-agar was uh, very important for uh, uh, um, many reasons. One of the, one of the uh, main characteristics of agar-agar is that gelatins, if you have yellow, and you get that yellow, and I'm not doing a commercial, and you heat the yellow, or you put it in the oven, leave it, what happens to that gelatin? Melts. So, man. I've been working so hard making this gelatin and melts. Agar-agar gave us this amazing possibility to, to heat the agar-agar almost to 80 Celsius degrees and not melting. So imagine for a second that you have a texture of gelatin that you put in your mouth and your lips and your tongue sense the warmth. It's astonishing. So this is one of the main characteristics that agar-agar has given us. But before we go into the hot agar-agar, let me show you things we can do with it. It's a very amazing uh, uh, gelatin because it's, it's, it's very strong. When jellifies, it's strong, it's hard, and has a very nice texture. It's what I call a very nice bite. So take a look at, at what we do. Here what we did was we got agar-agar, which we need very, 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 very small quantities to turn water into a gelatin and change the properties completely. And we put it in a tray like this, very thin like this, and we put the liquid in the bottom. We let it cool in the refrigerator, even agar-agar will even cool outside a normal temperature. And take a look what happened, people of Cambridge. <laughs> well, I know you are from other parts of the world too, but. We are able to achieve these amazing pasta look-alike forms. I'm not here promoting Italian cooking, but <laughs> you want to call it tagliatelle, you want to call it cappellini, you only need to be doing the right cuts. Thinner, thicker. So the amazing thing with this is that we are able to come with all this pasta, and we can get this pasta and put it under the salamander or in the oven, or even having a sauce of tomato, making sure that the sauce is right under 80 Celsius degrees, introduce the pasta, heating up the pasta, and serving this pasta with the tomato sauce and the grated parmesan on top. So we did this with water. But what are you dreaming of? What flavor are you dreaming of, madam? Spinach? Very creative. So imagine you do this with the spinach water. And you do a spaghetti or a tagliatelle of spinach water. Or again, we go back to the truffle. Or we go back to the mushrooms. Or we go back to the anchovies. Or we go back to whatever you dream of. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Obviously, here, I'm thinking about creating a dish. But for the people of the world, 
that for some reason they are not able to be eating wheat. They are wheat intolerant, celiacs, every day more and more. Imagine already all the possibilities that you have, not only to have to be eating the rice noodles, which I have no problem, but imagine that you are able to bring into the diets of those people any flavor they want pasta. Creatively, this is amazing, but also if you think how to improve the way we eat and giving everyone the options to have a very rich life, enjoying it to the full extent of its possibilities, this will open amazing doors for the medical world. We'll be able to feed anyone any flavor we want. I think it's amazing, right? But we don't finish here. If we make if we make pasta like spaghetti, why we don't make raviolis too? What happened? Only Italians can make raviolis here, or what? No way, Jose. So here, so here, can you can you show me? Can you show this? Come here. Yep. Also, we make a film after we've done the agar agar that we have to heat up. Okay, these, uh, the agar-agar the and the water will have to be mixed at a fairly high temperature. If not, agar-agar doesn't, uh, doesn't mix into the water. And in this case, we are putting a little bit of uh, yogurt or mozzarella. What are we putting? Uh, Cheese. <laughs> That's a matter of from what part of the world you are, avant-garde cooking gives you that possibility. You are English, Stilton. You are French, Roquefort. You're Spanish, Cabrales, everyone happy. <laughs> so take a look what we do here. We do these circles. We put whatever we want inside. And we are able to make these amazing raviolis. After we're gonna be talking about methyl cellulose. Methyl cellulose, which is actually a gelatin that really achieve the perfect gel once you warm up the gelatin. We'll talk in a second about methyl cellulose. But what we do in the edges of this ravioli, we get a little bit of methyl cellulose, and we apply it to the edges, and then methyl cellulose will be like a glue, and then we will apply heat with a torch, but I didn't bring it with me, so I apologize. And so we, the ravioli will be perfectly sealed. So we can do the same thing. We can get this ravioli and introduce it into a, a, a brodo, as the Italians will say, into a broth, making sure it's no more than 80 degrees. The raviolis will be transparent. Whatever is inside will soft. Imagine you put burrata, will become very nice and warm and very soft. And when you pick up with a spoon that ravioli and you put it in your mouth, I can tell you, your life will change forever. Another technique using agar-agar. Vamos a uno caliente. El tubo, el espagueti. El caliente. Ah, dame el espagueti, hazlo. Only to make sure it's not out. I would love to tell you that many of these uh, uh, techniques were invented by me and my team in Washington, but that will be a lie. But so anyone else that will say that many of these techniques happen in their world. Many of these techniques even is many of the things that every other chef, we may be coming with new things. I can be telling you with the many new things we are coming up. But the base of all these things really happened by Ferran at El Bulli. 
And this is one of his main amazing things. Like, he, if he never told anyone about what to do with this, no one will have a clue about it. But because he was able to share everything, we all know about it. But if anyone tries to fool yourselves, tries to fool you, all, many of these things always came from the same part of the world. And this was El Bulli in Rosas, Catalonia, Spain. Is that clear? Good. Hey, come close, come close. So, we have the gelatin, but we are dreaming, right? But imagine we have these cubes, and we fill it up with whatever you want, truffle water, agar-agar mix. And we put it into these amazing tubes that we rob from the hospital next door. <laughs> I hope no one is running out of ivy or something. And now we're going to be making the one or two or three, or three meters spaghetti. Madam, how many meters do you wish? <laughs> I wish four meters. And so you'll be able to get the spaghetti. <laughs> it's water, but I don't like to drink in front of people. <laughs> this is the only way you will be able to drink a spaghetti, people of Cambridge. Another fascinating way to make the length of what you want to do with spaghetti like any length you want is possible with this simple, simple partnership between water, a liquid, and agar-agar. Great. Next. So, so now we are going to go to other type of seaweeds, uh, what we are going to call kappa and what we are going to be calling iota. The kappa and iota is what we call also part of the red family. Can you put me a photo? Do we have a photo? One second. And this is the family of what uh, we call ca carrions, okay? So um, it's funny because I hope no Irish is here, but <laughs> not a lot of great things came, but carrion around Ireland somewhere. So these people were eating seaweed because, you know, potatoes didn't arrive. And those people, I'm telling you, they were smart, man. So uh, this seaweed, they were, when you find them in other parts of the world, they were very big there. So they are called carrions in honor of that town, carrion that seems was the first people that were harvesting seaweed. They had to be really hungry. <laughs> so the amazing thing is that, are we going to make the one with kappa? So kappa and Yota are two carrions, but both behave in different ways. First, I'm going to show you the one with kappa. Kappa is a very unique gelatin-like because it's a very firm texture. And almost, it's a, it's a gelatin that almost breaks. So it's a firm texture and very breakable. But allows us to make, um, yeah, we're going to be getting very hot. So um, what proportions we have here? So with the kappa, we have, imagine, 200 grams of water, one fifth of a quart, 200 grams of water, and three grams of kappa, only three grams of kappa. What you see right here now, it's, um, oh, well, we're going to finish this. So what you see right here, can get me on this one first. We're going to go with the cilantro, madam, here. We got cilantro. We introduce the cilantro into this amazing mix of carrying 
kappa. And by introducing the leaf of cilantro, the cilantro is gelatinized, surrounding the leaf. Again, I told you it's very hard. This one is very hard. Gives texture, in this case, to a leaf. And also, it's very breakable. Break. Break. Well, sure, with my two hands, I can break anything. But <laughs> it's very breakable. So this gives us, uh, really, uh, the possibility to be gelatinizing, in this case, leaves like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we bring a very unique texture to the mouth. But then, let me show you what Aitor is doing here. By the way, a big round of applause. Aitor has been working this very hard. Okay. And Cherise, who works at Minibar, really a few years now with me, amazing job at Minibar. So take a look at what happens with uh, the other one. We did this one, the kappa. The other one, the iota, is completely a different type of, 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 um, of uh, gelatin. This one, on the contrary, it's very, very uh, uh, soft and elastic. Okay, it's soft and elastic. Kappa is hard and breakable. Iota is soft and elastic. So take a look what he's doing. We are doing it with a little bit of color because even ourselves, we are here and we cannot see anything. Imagine yourselves out there. So what we are doing there is simple pearls. So what we do right here, um, this will be warm around, you will warm it up almost up to 60, 70 degrees. And then you will bring it, uh, you will start doing this. And in the moment this cools down, which is fairly quick, you can come with a spatula. Huh? Wow, this looks like uh, we can make competition to the jewelry world. <laughs> I have a couple of ideas. So here is a very simple, quick way of making these spells. Can you get closer? Immediately, jellyfies. They look like diamonds. Again, very soft, very shiny. We are able to make this of any flavor. And let me show you one dish. Can we go to the, we have the chicken? So let me show you a photo of one example. In, in Chinese cooking, right? You will see the chicken with lemon. Well, here we have a chicken caramelized skin with this lemon. Iota base crystals and an air of lemon. Chicken with lemon. Okay, next. So, other of the main characteristics of, come you come here, madam, of the Iota is that it's a gelatin. I told you that it's very soft and right and very malleable. So Yota has a characteristic that if we will make, um, I'm sorry, we, we don't have it for you right now. Um, no, déjame, déjame la bandeja. If we will make a, well, here you see, right? Obviously, in the different proportions, you see, it's very soft and very malleable, right? Soft and malleable, yes? But these have the characteristic that if we will get a whisk, and we will have a big ball with one quart of this gelatin. 
made with the iota, and we will whisk, and we will put it back into the refrigerator, okay? Usually, if you do this with any of the other gelatins, agar-agar, in the moment you cut it, already you destroy it. You have to melt again the ones that you can in order to put it back and make sure that you bring uh, the gelatin, in this case, to a normal state, right? That is whole, and you can work with it. This one, you can whisk it, and you can destroy the entire liquid or the entire gelatin. And if you give this 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, precisely because it's so elastic, will go back to its natural state. Are you with me? Yeah. So this is one of the other very unique uh, 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 characteristics of these two carrageens, uh, IOTA and Kappa, but especially we love this one, the IOTA. Are you with me? We move to the next one. So, um, can we put the shark up there one second? I don't know if you read today, but the governor of California is going to be banning shark fins in the year 2013. Did you read? So here we are talking about gelatins, but we are doing a cooking class. Dave has talked about science. We are trying to explain you how this is science transforming to the cooking. But everything we do very much is completely connected to everything else in life. So when you listen, we know that hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of sharks are used caught to cut the sharfing. I'm not going to lie to you. I've had more than once sharfing soup. But then when you understand what we are doing to the world we live in, it's kind of decisions have to be made, right? The chef in me will tell me, man, I want to keep eating those sharfing. Why? Because it's a tradition. We've been doing this for thousands, hundreds of years, if not thousands. Why are we going to stop those traditions? Even it's true that the sharfing sharf itself doesn't taste like much. It's true, but it has an amazing texture. What it tastes like is the soup or the chicken broth that you make it. But at the same time, it's millions of Chinese, hundreds of millions of Chinese, this is a tradition. So the only thing I'm saying is, the governor has done that, and I know it's going to be very controversial. I know what I'm doing. I have a Chinese restaurant, and I don't serve sharfing soup anymore. We made that commitment. Why? Because I become a scuba diver. And I've seen already a few sharks. And that doesn't matter that now I'm going to turn so only vegetarian. Don't worry. <laughs> but yes, it makes me think. We cook and you eat. If we preach, we have to live as we preach. So if we are living our oceans without sharks, that's no good thing. But then, food for thought, what's happening with the tuna? Or what's happening with anything else? But we need to start living in a way that the world and the environment of this earth can sustain itself to keep giving our sons and the future generations a place to, have, to be. So what a shark has to do with the Latin? Well, I'm going to show you. Um, so here we, we, we very easily, you're going to, can you get close, madam? Because it's very important. Let's do it, do it here, that they can see it very easily. So we could do this also with agar-agar. But we're going to be using um, a new one. 
And this one is uh, another kind of uh, seaweed. Uh, eh? yeah. So it's another kind of seaweed. We saw that we have seaweeds that come, uh, sorry, gelatins that come out of animal, yeah, out of collagens. We saw the gelatins. We've seen already agar-agar, um, the kappa and the iota, which come from seaweed, the seaweed that you find in the seas of the world. We saw a natural pectin in a tomato, right, that comes from fruits. Um, um, we, uh, we, did, we talked briefly about methyl, even we're going to end with methyl. But now, bacteria is very funny, right? Because you're going to say, wow, what uh, bacteria has to do, um, um, what the bacteria has to do uh, with gelatin? Well, it's a bacteria, even it's one of the, is the last gelatin discovered by men, which um, uh, the name of the bacteria is Esphingomonas elodea. Esphingomonas elodea. Believe me, I'm not going to put this name in the menu. Um, <laughs> So it's a, it's a fermentation, uh, okay, that we achieve, and then um, we produce we produce uh, this ingredient, gelan. And this uh, gelan is very unique because it allows us to get a gel, a gelatin that is very firm, okay, that is very firm. No, 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 no don't show them that yet. <laughs> this is imagine a Harry Potter movie that we tell them the end. <laughs> wow. So. Remember the sharks? Gelan comes from a bacteria. One day you, I'll introduce it to you. We make, imagine that we make a dashi. Everyone knows what dashi is? Japa, okay, forget dashi, miso. Everyone knows what miso is? Ah, better. <laughs> okay, the fermented bean, very, very Japanese, very, uh, very Asian, very Chinese. So imagine we get that flavor. Imagine we get the flavor you want. And we put, in this case, the gallon. And we get, you follow me, man? And we, and we press the gelatin against the microplane. Are you with me? And we take this out. And we take this out of the microplane. If you've ever seen the filaments of the sharpened soup, they look like this. And if you put this in the mouth, has the texture of a sharpened-like cartilage. So I was telling you about being part of the world we live in, and not only to be thinking about the few that can't pay for that, but be thinking about the rest of humanity. This is a way how chefs cooking, but you eating, we can be helping to make sure that we make decisions for a better world tomorrow. So here is how gelatin, for a day, can be saving the life of sharks for the future generations. And here, you will have a shark fin. Perfectly cooked. This will go into the plate. We will have the same traditional chicken or pork broth, soup, whatever is the traditional recipe. And you tell someone this is sharpened soup. And believe me, you will fool them. <laughs> if you cook it well. <laughs> All right, we move next.
So, methyl cellulose, I told you before, right? So here, we have another type of gelatin. This one comes from plants. And let me tell you something, methyl cellulose is amazing. Because you eat it and goes out. <laughs> Very much, that happens with every plant you eat. A big percentage of the plant goes in and goes out. Believe me. <laughs> so, methylcellulose very much comes from the outer cells of all the plants. It's something that helps us with the digestion, etc., etc., etc. But methylcellulose is a very fascinating. Um, um, it's a very fascinating uh, uh, gel in this case because this gel compared to the traditional gelatins that they jellify when they get colder, this one jellifies when it gets hotter. Amazing, right? We are not. Already, the world has been turned side up. Now, this gelatin says, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be like the English driving on the left. <laughs> Boom. I'm going to jellify when I'm hot. Why? Because I'm cool. So. Take a look what we are able to do with methyl cellulose. With methyl cellulose, we are going to be able to do almost anything we want in the years to come. Breads, almost breads without flour. We're going to be, uh, wow. But do we have that uh, video? We have the corn video? Enseñamos el video? O enseñamos esto mejor? You want to see the video? We, we do it live better, no? What do you want to do? We, we show it live. Life is better, come on. Video, go to YouTube. All right. So take a look what we do here. Okay. So here we have um, water and the, and the methyl. The methyl cellulose is in a powder, okay? And we're going to be mixing it um, right there. You always will mix the methyl cellulose with the water in cold, okay? You will not heat the water. You start in cold. Very important. Yeah. Can we do today? Yeah, I know. You know, I put the video on. No, no, you've been doing a great job. Yeah, but we're in a rush here. So we go and we mix the methyl cellulose. And you are going to see that, okay, uh, it's going to be um, absorbing the, um, the water is going to be uh, absorbing the methyl cellulose. And at the end, we are going to have a gel like consistency, all right? And we're going to have a liquid, that, a gelatin in this case, or a gel that is very, uh, technically right now, is not even a gel. The gel will become once we hit it. But now we are going to have a liquid that if you see, can you get closer? Don't worry, get closer. We don't bite. Get closer. Yeah. Yeah? Has a very, uh, a lot of uh, viscosity, all right? Okay? So now it's mixed. Wow. We're good. I mean, no one can do this like us. And then you let it rest. After some minutes, we're going to have this methyl base. And again, remember, you see like this gel-like texture, yes? Beautiful, right? It's so beautiful. <laughs> so take a look at what we do. We have a baby corn. Don't go so quick. We go a baby corn, and a baby corn is very good. That's what Alice Waters always tells me. 
Why are you messing up with the baby corn, Jose? Say, Alice, because you do it better than I do. So what we do is we take the corn, baby corn kernels, only the baby corn kernels, and we mix them in a bowl like this with a little bit of the methyl cellulose. Are you with me? And we mix. And this allows us to get this amazing baby corn kind of dough with very little of the water and the methyl cellulose. We put this into a piece of paper like this, and we make like a film of baby corn kernels. And you remember the agar-agar? We make tubes of agar-agar. And these tubes are going to be out of corn water. We, when we clean the corn kernels, the big ones, we keep scrapping with the knife, and the water is amazing. The best corn flavor in the history. And we make an agar-agar base gelatin. Are you with me? We put this inside, and take a look what he's going to do. He's going to do this because that's it much better than I do. We're going to transform this into a baby corn again. <laughs> and that's why Alice Waters tells me, why do you mess with nature? <laughs> and sometimes I believe she's right. But it's a time in life for everything. I hope you're going to see right now a baby corn. <laughs> I mean, hey, a baby corn takes weeks. <laughs> Few minutes. Guys, why do we do this? Because we believe we are making a better piece of corn. <laughs> and my wife is not in the audience, but I'm very respectful to God. But this corn is like no corn. <laughs> this Sunday I'm going to church. Um, so now what happens? We have this hat. Psst, it's okay. It's okay. I'm happy. <laughs> I know it's hot. So this is very hot. Oosh. Oh. All right? So this is hot. Remember the, the methyl cellulose, I told you, becomes really a gelatin. It gels when you apply heat. Boom. Right now it's browning. It's browning. It's really big. I mean, if I'm not careful, it's going to burn. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave me alone cooking. And then we keep cooking it and cooking it. Oh, man. Can you put me the video to see the last dish? And we keep cooking and cooking. No, I was joking about the video. And cooking. And then what happens? The agar-agar, I told you that you can heat it up up to 80 degrees, yes? So the agar-agar is slowly, it's also heating up. And the agar-agar is becoming soft. And the methyl cellulose with the corn in that moment really is becoming a gel. Man, now it's 
hitting. I knew it. All right. I'm breaking the whole thing, but that's okay. <laughs> so at the end, we got a corn on the cob doing homage to American cooking. Ingredients, but with minimal touches, and using the gelatins allows us to get two gelatins into one component when you put, put this corn in your mouth. Really, the perceptions in your tongue, in your mouth, really, it's astonishing. This is why we use these techniques, to improve the food, not to make it more complicated. When you eat it, I think you will remember the best corn on the cob you ever had in your previous life. <laughs> okay, we're gonna, and we finish. We have five minutes to finish esferification. Yes? You remember, time with the length, the square. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Every morning when I wake up, I say, how much time I'm going to put my spheres into the solution? <laughs> and all thanks to Dave. Huh? Unbelievable. So, are we making the, the red one first? Yeah. So we're going to show you the, the red one. You saw the, 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 the theory. We're going to try to move the theory into reality. Yes? So, over here we have what we call the calcium chloride base. People of the world, it's a salt of calcium. It's simple. It's simple, all right? So, yeah, yeah. So in the calcic base, we are going to have, uh, imagine that this is one flavor, that is yellow. A kumquat. We get the kumquats. You put them in the user. Boom, kumquat, water. Come on, everyone does this for breakfast. Because if you use the kumquats, you need 203 days to get a cup. So kumquat, you food terrorists. So, in the kumquat, and now we have to go back to the seaweeds and to the alginates. The amazing thing about the alginates in this case is that they are able um, to, um, in the presence of the calcium, they jellify. They're very, very, very unique, these people. In this case, this alginate that also, again, comes from uh, uh, different uh, uh, seaweeds. This one are the seaweeds laminaria, uh, fucus. Also, you will find them in the beaches of your neighborhood. Um, um, in the presence of calcium, gets very excited. Well, actually, the contrary. I believe that in this case, this alginate doesn't like calcium at all, and so creates a shell to protect himself from the annoying calcium. 
And if not, you follow the theory of Dave. So we get the, calci the, the calci calcium chloride base, and we get this kumquat juice that we, we mix the arginate, and we introduce the balls. And now the gelation starts. A membrane is going to be formed in the outside of the liquid itself. Maintaining the liquid in the middle of the sphere, but with a very thin membrane surrounding the liquid. This is astonishing because it gives us the possibility right now to create eggs with the flavor we want in the egg white. We tell people that the chickens ate parmesan, <laughs> and they believe us. But what we did was a water of parmesan mixed with um, uh, uh, powdered egg whites, dehydrated egg whites, talbumina. And by putting that dehydrated egg whites into the water of parmesan, we create an egg white with the flavor of parmesan. We do the same thing, and we are able to create an egg of parmesan. But because my friend said uh, kumquats, already they've been cooked. This is almost cooking in cold. Gelation has happened in front of your eyes. We take it out, we put it in water, and people of Cambridge, here you have a perfect sphere. Damien Cuchillo. Remember the membrane? There you have the membrane, but inside is the liquid. You put this in your mouth and will explode every time. Don't tell me that it's not worth it to be alive to experience that moment. <laughs> All right. But the name esferification, you know where it comes from. You saw the perfect sphere. That will happen. It's natural. We're not going to get into why the spheres are formed. But always, we create these spheres. If we make them bigger, the spheres are going to be already are going to look more like the Earth, use flatter on the, on the edges, on the tops. But if they are small enough, they will be almost perfect spheres, which is quite astonishing. But take a look now what we do. We thought that we, thought that we could only do spheres, right? Well, we get... I'm afraid to ask. Um, <laughs> pink peppercorns, gelatin. <laughs> Thank you for. We, we were trying to recreate the colors of Harvard. <laughs> Please for, forgive us. <laughs> I know you're celebrating an important moment in history. <laughs> forgive me, but we really try. Think this is the colors. At America Eats, the American restaurant in Washington, D.C., that celebrates the history of America, for you all to know, oh. one of the main salads of the very historical menu that I did in partnership with the National Archives, one of the most sold salads is the Harvard Beats salad. <laughs> for you to know. Okay, so before we do that, so let me show you this one. We had the calcium base here, and here we had the alginate, the powder of seaweed. Here we had the salt of calcium. But take a look what's going to be happening here. 
Now, the alginate, the seaweed, we don't put it into the liquid that we are trying to do this verification with. We already changed completely, and they show us the theory before. What we do now here in the water bath, we have the alginate, the powder of seaweed, completely inverse. Calcium, almost we are not using anymore out of our lives. So here, we are using yogurt. Why yogurt? I told you before that the alginate really gets very excited with this presence of the calcium. Well, what happens with yogurt and with milk and with cheeses? That they have calcium, naturally. So the natural yogurt, we get the yogurt, we put it inside the water bath with the alginate, and already in the outside, the membrane is being formed. We take it out. We put it on the plate. And there we have a perfect baby mozzarella in your eyes. We come. We cut it. The membrane is very thin. And the whole thing becomes liquid again. Amazing? Unless we show the spheres, 99% of the time are spheres. But here we have, we will do this. But now we will have the same algae base. And in here, we will do this. We will add, in this case, gluconolactate and some gelatin. Gluconolactate, guys, long story short, is very much an ingredient found in every single milk and milk byproduct that you find, all right? Substitutes to a degree the salt of calcium. But the gluconolactate is really astonishing because it allows us to do things with pure alcohols. Not pure, but with alcohols. With the normal spherifications, we couldn't use alcohols. Also, it's great because it allows us to achieve a very neutral pH. The spherifications behave better in neutral pH. So gluconolactate is a natural ingredient that just came out in the way of coming out with all the spherifications as a perfect way to achieve spherifications that we couldn't do before. And what I mean with that? We're going to be cutting We're going to be cutting any form you want. You can do a cube. You can do a triangle. You can do a heart. You can do a number, you can do a letter. Eh? Yeah, put two or three. Yeah. So if we get the nines, yeah, go, go adding. We will get numbers. And again, we have, in here we have the seaweed, um, um, here we have the water, here we have the gelatin, and here we have the gluconolactate. Gelatin, seaweed, and the gluconolactate in very small quantities. And you see how it goes into the water. Believe it or not, right here, right now, right here, right now, because the gluconolactate, the agin itself is doing a very thin membrane around the number. That's a matter what form we are using. We're going to leave it here a few seconds, or you follow the formula. Yeah, put it on the plate, ya está.
Okay. So what's happening now? Because we did it with the gluconolatate and the gelatin, the gelatin collagen base, what did we tell you with the gelatin? That when you heat it, you melt. We are doing this verification right here. The agin, it's surrounding very much these numbers. But because we are doing it, again, with the gelatin collagen base, we are introducing those numbers into the oven. We are raising the temperature. The gelatin, as you said, melts. But because outside we have the alginate, very thin membrane, that membrane with the heat doesn't melt. Doesn't melt up to 60, 70 degrees. So we are able almost to transform those gelatins into liquid spherifications again of any form we wish. Numbers, forms. At the end of the day, in, in what year uh, Harvard was created? Sixteen thirty-six brings a bell. Well, we're not going to be here on Friday, but happy, happy, happy anniversary to all of you here. So, guys, um, used to end. We talk about the sharks. We talk about gelatins. Uh, I wish we even had the time to be talking about many more things that gelatins can be changing humanity. Gelatin is a protein. Proteins are going to have to be produced in quantities to feed humanity over the next 50 years as humanity is growing into a 7, 8, 9 billion world of people. And the proteins are going to be having to be coming from somewhere. I only want you to think that very probably right here somewhere in Boston, someone is already thinking about how proteins, and maybe proteins like gelatins, can be produced in massive quantities to the very least and hunger in the world. This is happening right now, right not too far away from where we are. So the thing I want you to take from, with you from here today is that cooking is fascinating. What we saw here is for the few. For what we saw here is for the privileged ones that we have the option once or twice in our lifetimes to come to a talk like this and all learn mutually or go to a restaurant that does this kind of cooking and, wow, enrich your life and saying, wow, this is fascinating, and finding all the connections that the food world has with everything, from diplomacy to national security to health to education to... But the truth is that not many years ago, a couple of centuries ago, a guy like Amos Napoleon and others thought that gelatins was a way to be feeding the poor. And here, in the 21st century, probably proteins like gelatins are going to be a way to be feeding the poor. So at least they have something to eat so they can come back. They can have one day the same options and privilege that you and I, we experience. So with you, I want you to take really that. That here, we saw cooking that is for the few. But also, we can transform this into something that can be for the many. To the degree, gelatin today made my day. I hope um, you enjoy this little culinary class, and I hope to see you, hopefully, if I'm invited again, next year. <laughs> so thank you very much. OK, no? Perfect, perfect. Any questions? Any questions? Yeah. Captain Mike, comfortable microphone.
they got. Look at this, swim. Okay, so maybe there's time for a few questions. I don't know if we have microphones or we do. Okay. Well, I mean, I have reservations, so. <laughs> no, hey, I'm coming to Boston. I cannot live without eating. Come on. No, that's a joke. Does anybody have this one over there? Right. Can you, can you use the microphone? I had an opportunity to eat at America Eats Tavern over the summer, and it seems that you've mined American history for culinary ideas. At the same time, you're pushing culinary boundaries in the current time. Uh, is there, do you prefer, or which was more um, enjoyable for you to, to go mining huh. the history of America for new recipe, or for old recipes to bring back? It's so funny because, I always, people lately tell me that seems I do a lot of things. And the truth is that I do because I cannot concentrate for long periods of time <laughs> in the same thing. I mean, I mean more than five minutes. <laughs> and and I, I, I left school when I was 14, right? And I began working and I saw that, wow, no? I could learn on my own if I wish to learn. At the end, learning is important. You receive learnership from the best. But if you don't, are you no, as lucky, it shouldn't be an excuse. You should keep finding all the answers to your questions on your own and not blaming others. So my answer to you is I'm fascinated with the history because that's where I come from, and I need to understand it to understand where I am. But also I'm fascinated with the avant-garde because it's showing me where we are going. What I am very upset is when sometimes some food writers or some food critics or some food people make this into a war. And I'm fascinated by it. Why we cannot be honoring 500 years of history going back and at the same time trying to be looking what's going to take us into the future? We need to remember that the traditions of today, they were modernity 200 years ago. The pressure cooker by Papin. Wow! Amazing, this guy, almost two centuries ago. And now I'm using pressure cookers to take them to Haiti, because maybe with solar kitchens, we can't give in an option to people to cook without. So understanding the past makes us to, be, to believe in the present and to understand what the future may be. So America eats. I am an immigrant. I've been 21 years here. I had the need to help America understand what America is through its cooking. If America had 200 years ago 10 different kinds of ketchups, why did we allow the black walnut ketchup, the oyster ketchup, the anchovy ketchup, the blackberry ketchup, the gooseberry ketchup disappear? How can we allow that? America eats, I'm trying to make sure that pow pow is not forgotten, <laughs> that those ketchups are not forgotten, and that Amelia Simmons will be known as an important woman in history that had an astonishing book that changed the face of American cooking. That's what America is. So I love both. And I don't want anyone to take that away from me or from any person. We all should be involved as much in the avant-garde as we should be involved in understanding the past where we come from. It's the only way we're going to have a great future. One more? Oh. I'll give you 20 later. 
Uh, so I'm a huge fan, and one of my big regrets in life is that I'll never get to eat at El Bulli. Um, but I, uh, what, one of the, the questions I have is that I feel like I'm not well versed in this history, but um, one of the criticisms levied against El Bulli was that there may be potential health ramifications for these different gelators and uh -huh. you know, different ingredients. I was just wondering what your thoughts were um, on those criticisms. Yeah. Um, where are you coming from? Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm a huge fan. This is a, just this is a good. This is a good question because it's, it's a question we ask ourselves too. Um, um, you know, it's not product here that um, doesn't come from the world we live. Nothing comes from. All these products are totally natural at every level. And I will tell anyone to prove me of the contrary. Um, you could argue that butter is a perfectly natural thing. But if you eat a quarter pound of butter a day, you're going to die by the year you are 30. And butter is astonishingly good. <laughs> French cooking without butter. So I believe that in life at the end is the right measure. It's very funny that we live in a world today that half of the population of the world is obese and half of the population of the world is hungry. <laughs> how, how are we doing this, right? Uh, uh, in my house, I want to light up my fire, and it takes me a second. A woman in Haiti, four hours, because she has to go to pick up the wood, and she has to pick up to make the fire, and the fire creates the smoke, and the smoke that she's creating to feed their children is the same smoke that is killing her and killing the children that she has right here next to her as while she's cooking, right? So those ingredients, if you tell me about natural cooking where we only will get the apple from the tree and the corn from the tree. <laughs> no. <laughs> from the tree plant. Uh, I am more worried than this. I'm more worried on the GMO. Uh, is the genetically modified is really the answer to feed humanity? Me, I'm listening to everyone. People are telling me that we can feed humanity in the more traditional ways. Traditional, but with the know-how of humanity after so many centuries of farming. GMO, I'm more worried about. The way we are contaminating our seas, we are more worried on. Everyone having, I don't know how many phones and how many computers that we go, we send to the third world to feel good here, but actually we don't send them to them to help them. We send them to them because it's very difficult for us to deal with all the different par parts that a computer and a phone has. It's so, it's so contaminating and so expensive to break down all the computers and all the phones that we become good Samaritans and then we give it to Africa. So they have computers. No, we don't give it to them because they have computers. We give it to them because it contaminates where we live. So the answer here is, I don't know what these ingredients are perfectly natural. We have, great, we have the USDA, the FDA, we have organizations worldwide testing those ingredients. If there were any issue that they had any harm to our, our bodies, they wouldn't be part of it. I eat them, and I think it looks very good. I wish. <laughs> I wish my daughters were here. You'll see they look excellent. They don't even look my daughters. So again, I, I want to believe that we have to be in between. But they do believe these things more, 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 more worrisome than 
alginates and seaweed products and pectins. We've been using those for centuries, believe it or not. And I think we're doing good. It's other things that are more worried to me. And those are the ones that we are going to have to be really taking serious, a serious look at. So anyway, sorry. One more. Can we go? One more. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for such a beautiful lecture and all the different demonstrations. I had a question on your sort of design process when it comes to texture. So you've given us you know, half a dozen completely different gels. When you're sitting to design a dish, how do you choose which one to apply or which one to use? I mean, at the end, you know, we are teams of, of, uh, of chefs. That, you know, we, we are not a big corporation with hundreds and hundreds of people working on research and development. We are few. But it's few restaurants around the world that we have teams of research and development. Uh, I'm in my process to have even a slightly bigger research and development place, and a place, the minibar, dedicated only to research and development. So it's try, trial and error, you know. But knowing his new formula of the day. <laughs> you can calculate it. Knowing his formula of the day is going to help us advance quicker, of sure. Obviously, knowledge is everything. Um, with uh, our friend Bush from MIT, sharing with us everything he knew about water surface tension. In the next year, or two, or three, we're going to be coming up with three or four dishes where water surface tension is the key, ele the, the key physical element to help me create a dish. So knowing, learning, reading, listening, uh, it's a guy that has invented, it's a new organization, has invented uh, a nano, nano ice. Snow. <laughs> We've been working with the snow many years now. And I know Grant, I hope, will get his wish. But someone is going to have to come with a big check to come up with a snow machine that created the crystal. But we are making a snow-like with fairly some success. Not the same crystal as the snow, but nano ice. What can we do with nano ice? Unbelievable. It's big, a lot of uh, super cooling. Only understanding how a freezer works and how the liquid works. That David is going to come with a formula. So <laughs> super cooling will make possible that any liquid we will be able to serve it in front of you in a glass, and the crystals will build right as you are serving it. Things, what I'm trying to say is things are in our fingertips, are right there. The answers are right there. What we need to be ready is to learn, apply them, try them, and keep moving forward. So for me, coming to Harvard, coming to Cambridge, uh, talking to other scientists, talking to other chefs, sharing what they know with what we know with what we try, is the way to proceed. And that's the fascinating thing in the 21st century, that we never before, we had so many chefs involved. Um, no, cooking used to be in the kitchen. And the talk will only happen in the kitchen, and in the bars we will get drunk at 1 a.m. Now, the bars are, still we go, but you know, we, uh, we, we behave more. And now we are able to come to these other worlds where we learn. And then we try to bring this learning ship into our world to improve the cooking. OK, so uh, before we finish, a couple of comments. First of all, uh, Jose will be signing books at the back afterwards. Secondly, for those of you who came uh, just uh, at the end of this last meeting, who would ever have accused me of being a theorist? <laughs> and finally, let's give Jose another big hand. <laughs> <laughs>